Well, thank you for that epic reading, Jono. Jono's first day, got to get him started working. Um, Good to see you. My name's Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. Welcome to you. And if you're new here or if you've just come back from holidays or if you're one of the year six to niners on your last day here with us in church before the vine starts up again next week, what a reading. Mark 13, we've come to as we've worked our way through this book. It's a very interesting chapter. It's quite a difficult chapter. So it's going to be a good morning. So it's, it's great you're here. Uh, are you ready for this? It's important to be ready. Uh, I uh, have these friends who recently had a baby. And a baby is something that you know is coming, but don't know exactly when. And these friends of mine were down the south coast just recently, and while they were down there, the road out of where they were was cut off by one of the fires. And I couldn't get in contact with them for a day because the power was out, mobile reception was down, and uh, eventually they, they got out, they came home, and she had the baby the day after. Three weeks early, she had the baby. And going through my head, I was in Wollongong with my family at the time. I was thinking if things had been different, they could have been on their way back up the coast, coming past Wollongong. They would have had to stop the car. I would have had to get out. I would have had to tell her to calm down, hold this. I would have had to deliver the baby in my own hands. It could have happened. We weren't ready for that. We knew the baby was coming, but we weren't ready. Thankfully, that didn't happen. Mama and baby are very well, and I am... Still friends with them. Uh, Jesus um, tells two stories that are similar. um, Stories about being ready but not knowing the exact time something will happen. Um, Listen again to uh, part of the story about the fig tree, he says at the end. He says, As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. He's saying, you look at, you look at this little tree, as, as you can see, it's getting ready to burst forth with its, with its bud and its flowers. You know that summer is almost there. You know it's definitely going to come, but you don't know the exact time it's going to break through. And then he's got the, the story about the, uh, the travelling homeowner who's uh, gone away, probably to his holiday house up the coast, who knows, but he's gone away, he's left his servants in charge And Jesus says, well, in that situation, you need to keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. He's definitely coming back sometime, but you're not sure exactly when. But you need to act as if that moment is the next one because it could be. Two stories, two illustrations. Jesus is saying to us today that his return could happen at any moment. It's inevitable. It will happen, but you don't know exactly when. That's why it's unwise to try to put together a timetable based on world events or or anything else. Not even Jesus himself knows that hour, but it is inevitable. I heard about some research they did amongst um, some doctors that said, actually, the best way to die is when you know that you're going to. That was sort of counterintuitive to me. I thought maybe the best way would be like in your sleep, just one minute you're here, next minute you're not. But, but doctors say who've seen this happen, one of the best ways to die is to, to know it's coming so you can get ready, to have a diagnosis that says you've got so many months or so many years or whatever it is so that you can have the conversations you need to, square up with people that you need to. 
often people confronted with their own mortality, they take spiritual things more seriously. They level with God. It helps you get ready. The reality of our lives is that even without a diagnosis, we might die tomorrow. But the reality of the world is, even if we don't die, the end may come tomorrow. Jesus could return at any moment. So we need to watch and be ready. We're going to have a look at this passage, which, as I said, has quite a bit in it. It's probably, uh, yeah, probably the most difficult chapter in Mark. And there are lots of different theories about how the different parts of it fit together. Um, So I'll give you my take on on some of the details. And as always, please wrestle with the text yourself too to see see what it's saying. But this is the big picture as we wait and be ready. This is the big picture of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is the rock solid foundation of all meaning in life. So don't base your life on anything else. And he is coming back. So a life built on him is all that will matter on that day. So let's begin with this first main point. Jesus is the foundation of all reality. If you've not uh, got your Bible open still, please open it up. Page 984 is where we're at, Mark 13. And it starts with what seems like an innocuous comment about the temple as they're coming out of the temple. The disciples say, look, teacher, what, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And they would have been very magnificent buildings. They're talking about this, this temple, the so-called second temple that had started being built about 50 years before by Herod. And it was massive. Um, the, the city uh, where the temple's built is on this kind of ravine. And so they built this huge marble slab that was, uh, it was 35 acres in area that had massive stones, stones tons and tons heavy, bigger than even the largest stones used to build the pyramids. It was a magnificent building, but it was also really significant as well. It was the foundation of of a Jewish person's whole life. See, the temple, that's the place where the sacrificial system is based. That's the place where uh, priests would offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of the people and make them right with God again. It was the place where God himself dwelt amongst his people. It was the place where God would return one day to set all things right. It was where all their hopes were based. It was foundational for their reality, to their hope for the future. But then Jesus says, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, I wonder about what the disciples would have thought right at that moment when Jesus had said that. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you felt like your, your kind of stomach has just sort of dropped in, in your belly when something's so shocking that you're just like, oh, you've got that real feeling. I used to, used to get it back when I was like at school and uni, sometimes when you turn over like your exam result and you'd just be like, oh, it'd just drop. Or perhaps it's, it's more serious. You've felt that feeling when you've received a diagnosis that has rocked your world or someone in your family has. Or perhaps when you've realised that like an investment you've made or a project you're working on, it's just, it's just not going to work out. You thought it was and now you realise it's not. And you get, that, you get that sense. Or perhaps with horror you've realised that a relationship that you, that you have is falling apart. You can't really do anything about it. I think we get that feeling, that kind of stomach dropping out of us feeling when our foundations are rocked. 
When something that we've judged to be like solid, that we can build our other assumptions of life on, turns out to be shaky. Our success, a self-perception about our own ability, if we've built our life on that, that's why an exam result rocks us. Our health, the assumption that we'll always be able to do the things that we're doing, we'll always be alive. That's why a diagnosis rocks us. Financial stability, the idea that we'll always have enough, we'll always be able to live this way, that's why a bad return rocks us. Or our relationships, this, this assumption that people will always think well of us, treat us in this way, that's why a relational mishap rocks us. What, what is it for you? What are the foundations that you build your life on? For the disciples and for, for good Jews, the temple would be that foundation, So saying that the temple would be destroyed, that would rock their world. And so having had their world rocked, a small group of disciples come up to Jesus and they ask, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are about to be complete? The disciples ask, when will these things happen? As they're sitting with Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking back at where the temple is located. They're looking back at the temple itself. They're asking, when are these stones going to be thrown down like you say? These things is uh, a phrase repeated throughout this passage. And I think the disciples mean by it the destruction of the temple. They want to be ready so that they know what to do. The foundation of their reality is going to be destroyed. Will they need to stay and, and defend the temple? Uh, their foundation? Should they all gather at the temple when it's about to be destroyed? Because maybe that's the moment God will return to judge as their foundation of reality is shattered. Jesus is, is going to tell them, no, you should run. This temple before your eyes, that's not actually the foundation that you think it is. So let's, let's look at Jesus' answer about the temple down in verses 5 to 23. And Jesus answers their question about when and what will be the sign with two whens. You can see there's one when in verse 7 and there's another when down there in verse 14. And the first when, Jesus is saying things that will happen but not be signs of the temple's imminent destruction. He says things like this, there'll be wars and rumours of war, which there were a lot of, um, particularly in the, the brutal Jewish Roman war of the late uh, 60s. He says things like being arrested and flogged on account of Jesus himself. You can read about that kind of thing happening in Acts. Talks about the gospel extending beyond Israel to all nations. Again, the gospel catapults out of Jerusalem in the early chapters of Acts to nations far and wide. But Jesus is saying those things and the others he mentions, they're things that are not the sign of the temple about to be destroyed. Then he gets to verse 14, the second when. He says, okay, this is going to be when the temple is destroyed. This is what's going to happen. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. The abomination that causes desolation. It's a strange term and it's one that's borrowed from an Old Testament book, um, the book of Daniel. Um, And here's a little ad for you. we're doing Daniel a little bit later in this year as a church family. So if it doesn't make sense to you now, or if you don't like what I say, come back then and we're going to do the whole book and it'll make a lot more sense in context. 
But that's a term borrowed from Daniel, which itself is sort of a prophecy. And that term in Daniel, uh, it's sort of, it's describing when you read around what it says in Daniel, uh, the abomination that causes desolation is something that will come to the city and, and sort of put an end to sacrifice and offerings in the temple. And so it's not clear what one event Jesus is actually talking about here or whether he's talking about one event or a combination of events. There are a number of things we know from history that happened that could fulfill that criteria. When a bunch of extreme Jews took over the temple in 67 AD, they murdered people in the temple. They set up a high priest who was basically a joke. That could be what, what's going on here. Or another possibility is uh, when Jerusalem itself was um, captured and destroyed by the Romans, the guy who did it, Titus, marched in. He burnt the temple. He set up his standards in the temple. However the disciples took it, the point is clear. Don't cling onto the temple. When this great desecration of the temple happens, it's not going to be long till the whole thing is torn down. The temptation for the disciples would be to hold on to the temple, to fight for the temple, as many Jews did. Jesus says, you should run. If you're anywhere in Judea, in the surrounding area of Jerusalem, don't go back to Jerusalem. Get out. Flee. Run. Run from the thing that you thought was the most important thing, the thing that was previously the foundation of your life. And so in AD 70... That magnificent, significant building, it was destroyed. The disciples, many of them ran from what was their foundation. What of our foundations? Now, I'd say that our foundations are even less trustworthy than the temple, which at least at one point in history was the way to get to know God. What can we say of our foundations, the things that, that we built our, live on, our lives on, the things that make our stomach drops out when they're, when they're shaken. None of them are solid. You cannot depend on being liked or people feeling a certain way about you. You cannot depend on being good at whatever exam you're doing. You cannot depend on financial security or on your health. All of these shaky foundations All of these could be torn down in a moment. You need to be ready to run. See, there was no more need for this physical temple because it had already been replaced by a better one. I mentioned earlier two of the functions of the temple. The first one, the place for sacrifices to be made to pay for sin. Animals' blood for yours. Well, Jesus came to offer a ransom for many. That's Mark 10.45. Jesus gave that ransom on the cross, his own life. No more sacrifices were needed. Or uh, the second purpose of the temple, the place where God dwelt with his people. Jesus himself is God. You can meet with God anywhere by knowing Jesus by his spirit. In the next chapter of Mark, when Jesus is arrested and being questioned, he's he's accused of, of saying that he will rebuild a temple in three days. And of course, he's talking about his body and his resurrection three days after he's killed. A new temple. When Jesus is dying um, in the chapter after that on the cross, Mark takes our view from Jesus on the cross and switches it across to the temple. We're at that moment the curtain of the temple is torn in two. 
that building is being superseded as Jesus gives up his life. And about 40 years later, we know that Jesus will be fully vindicated. The temple was completely destroyed by the Romans and to this day has not been rebuilt. Jesus is the new temple. He fulfills what the temple was supposed to do. Atonement with God through his sacrifice and bringing God near through his presence. So Jesus wants his disciples to get that, that he is the rock-solid foundation of all meaning in life. So don't hold on to the temple or anything else. I come to the, the second part of Jesus' answer. Jesus is coming back, so a life built on him is all that will matter. After telling the disciples about uh, what's going to happen before this abomination appears, um, and then that they must flee, Jesus talks of a, of a period of more trouble. And this distress includes the, the actual destruction of the temple, but extends further too. And there's similar warnings there about um, what to look out for. False messiahs and false prophets will appear. But after that, another distinct thing will happen. So have a look down at verse 24. So it says there, But in those days, following that distress... And then he goes on and talks about the Son of Man coming. And it's an event so significant that he uses this language of cosmic upheaval. And it's language that he's borrowing from the Old Testament, borrowing from prophets like Isaiah, like uh, Zechariah and Joel. In Isaiah, for instance, when the sun's darkened and the moon no longer gives its light, that sort of scene accompanies judgment on the nation of Babylon. It's a moment that's so huge because God is coming to judge and show his authority. That's what that kind of cosmic language is representing, is is accompanying. And Jesus couples that kind of image with another image from the Old Testament, the image of the Son of Man, which we read about um, in Daniel 7. Uh, Let me read part of it again. It says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, etc. Gosh, Daniel's such an important book. If only we did a whole series on Daniel, that'd be great. We're doing one, don't worry. Come back in a couple of months, I'm not sure when, but it's going to be great. But that prophecy in Daniel features this this ancient of days. It's God himself. He's sitting there ready to judge. And it's a picture of authority being given to this son of man. And that's Jesus' term for himself all the way through uh, this gospel. And so this is what he talks about in cosmic language. This is the end, a future time still coming beyond Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, though it all starts there, beyond the temple being destroyed, The disciples asked for a sign and Jesus told them, well, the abomination that causes desolation, that's the sign that the temple's going to be destroyed. But here's a bonus sign, another sign. The temple being destroyed, that's a sign that there's nothing left to happen until the Son of Man returns. The first thing happened, the temple was destroyed. We know that the second one will. So where are we in this story, in this timetable? Well, we're we're after the desecration of the temple by the abomination. We're before the final coming of the Son of Man. We're somewhere in those verses around verses 21 and 22 where there are false messiahs, false prophets still coming, claiming that they are the way, 
that there is another foundation other than Jesus. We're in this period of awaiting. It's like we're the servants in a, in a house whose owner has gone on a trip and is going to return at some point, but we don't know exactly when. The baby is coming. We know that much. The birth pains are here. But when exactly, we're not sure. Jesus ends his, his story about the, uh, the owner and the house um, in verses 36 and 37, saying, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. We need to watch. We need to be ready to meet him. What does watching, what does being ready look like? Well, make him your foundation. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's what false prophets, that's what false messiahs will try to do, to tell you to build your life on some other foundation, something else. Perhaps that comes to you in the temptation as you look around and see other people and you think, I want to make success like them my foundation. Perhaps it's come, it comes to you in what you see online to make looking beautiful or owning this or that the foundation of your life. Perhaps it's who you read in newspapers or, or other places who just say, no, Jesus actually is not relevant anymore. He doesn't make any sense. False prophets, false messiahs, watch out for them. Make Jesus your foundation. Keep watching out. Be on your guard. Keep him as your foundation. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Keep looking forward to his return, to the day of the king. Remember, the best way to die is when you know that your death is coming so you can prepare. The best way to live is when you know that the end is coming and it is coming. Let's go back to uh, Jesus' story of the fig tree. Jesus' disciples asked him about these things, meaning the temple being destroyed. In verse 30, we see that that generation, the disciples, did not pass away until all these things were fulfilled. The temple was destroyed. The things the disciples asked about had happened, which means that the twigs are tender, the leaves are coming out. There is nothing left to happen until that great day, until summer until he returns. And for those who have Jesus as their their foundation, that will be a great day. That's going to be a wonderful day. The end of distress, the end of turmoil, standing right before God in his presence forever. In in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, the land of Narnia is overtaken by the evil white queen. It's a land where it's always winter, never Christmas. Spring never comes. Summer is never there. But the the character who represents Jesus, Aslan the Lion, brings hope, as the beavers tell the children in in this rhyme. They say, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Those in that Narnian winter, they were looking forward to spring, a spring where there's no more sorrows. We're looking forward to a summer, a summer where the Son of Man will judge with authority, where he will put all things right. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, 
you know that summer is near. Jesus is near. He's, he's right at the door. Let's pray. Our Father, thanks so much for sending Jesus, for giving us a foundation for our lives who is solid, who is dependable, who cares deeply for us. Thank you that you have control over all of history from the start to the end. Thank you that you love us. And Father, thank you for that day when Jesus will return, our solid foundation. Please work your spirit in us to make us ready Make us long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.